When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Diana Weeks and Dave Woodard are in the newsroom. Will Erskine is on the board. Ontario is opening up thanks to mass vaccination. Nobody cough. I can't go backwards. Here's Scott Thompson. Hey, yeah. Who says it ain't affecting the chitlins? Uh, he's day two. He's home already. Uh, and so far, so good. Uh, through the uprights, as he said. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's happy to be back. Uh, other than that, nothing to report. All right, uh, off he goes. It is uh, 3.09. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It's Hamilton Today. Will Erskine is on the board and in the newsroom more, uh, working diligently, trying to keep you informed of what is going on, is Diana Weeks and Dave Woodard. They will be joining us around the big round table coming up after the 4.30 news. Hang on for that. And if uh, you want to be involved and and put your uh, offering on the table, we would love to hear from you. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Uh, Willers can pick in the top hour tune today uh, with the outcast. Hey, yeah. Uh, any reason for that, Willie? Is there any reason we ought to be... I just figured we needed something that's bouncy, upbeat, good, energetic, optimistic, outcast with Hey Yeah Fits, all that, as long as you don't listen to the lyrics. <laughs> there you go. And as uh, as uh, Ted Michaels would always say, he used to be the the, uh, the DJ of the newsroom. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering who is the in that role now. I'm not sure. Uh, I believe like the ambassador to uh, China. We haven't replaced that role yet. Anyway, he would say, uh, good beat and easy to dance to. So there you go, Teddy. Tip of the hat to you. Hope you're enjoying the retirement. All right. Uh, let's move on. Another big day as far as, uh, oh, hey, yeah, you know what? I think it's the last time I was in hit radio. Uh, I remember playing that song in Ottawa, uh, which if you're following the chronological order and career of uh, Scott Thompson, that was after my first stint in Hamilton at Y95 and after uh, some, some extremely sleepy radio in St. Catharines and then to Ottawa and then back to Hamilton. If you're keeping score at home, there you go. All right. So thank you so much, really. Uh, the Premier and uh, Dr. Kieran Moore, as well as the Health Minister, all made an appearance today. Uh, on the Premier's news conference to talk about things opening up. Uh, obviously, uh, we're starting to see uh, the Omicron variant start to level out in Ontario. It's interesting how it's leveling out in Ontario and then picking up on other uh, provinces. Um, but uh, the good news is Ontario is experiencing its lowest test positivity, uh, positivity rate uh, in a month as uh, things start to level off. Obviously still concerned about ICU uh, uh, admittance, and that's up a bit, but the hospitalizations are down. So you can certainly see things uh, starting to hopefully level out. And as a result of all of that, uh, the Premier has announced today that uh, as of January 31st, uh, they will start to reopen in stage one protocol, which is 50% capacity for, which is what we have now. But what this does include now is restaurants, uh, gyms, and obviously religious churches, uh, religious organizations, that sort of thing. So uh, broadens that a bit. And uh, January 31st, uh, uh, 50% capacity for restaurants and gyms and such is the real big change. Ten people indoors. 
uh, 25 people outdoors, and then it goes in increments of 21 days. Uh, so the next stage is February 24. Haven't we all heard this before? Right? But this is the new one. Uh, we've taken the etchy sketch and we've cleared it, we've shaken it, and now this is a new schedule. Or whiteboard, you pick your thing. Uh, February 21st into stage two, and then 21 days later, March 14th into stage three. Uh, how is small business reacting to this? Let's bring in Julie Kwasinski, Director of Provincial Affairs for Ontario for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and with us now. Julie, as always, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Not too shabbily, Scott. How are you? I can't complain. You know, it's funny, Julie, as I'm introducing you, I realize I, I, can, I could have read the same introduction about four times during this global pandemic. I think we've had the same discussion. Here's hoping uh, that this is the last time we have this sort of uh, discussion. But uh, obviously, as of January 21st, uh, stage one, uh, opening restaurants and uh, gyms and such, and then the rest in 21-day increments. What are your thoughts? Well, we're still getting feedback from our members because initially hearing that restaurants and gyms being able to open to 50% capacity on Jan 31st sounds like a really happy thing. But when you talk to some gym owners and restaurant owners, they feel really let down. Um, I'm hearing things like the government said I could reopen fully on January 26th. That was the expectation. When the government put it out there that this lockdown, restrictions, whatever you want to call it this time around, was supposed to last only till January 26th, there was no talk at that time about incrementally getting out of this. So the anticipation was that they're going to be reopening at 100% capacity on Jan 26th. So there's mixed feelings out there. Um, however, it does help to give this 11-day notice period because if you're a restaurant, you can start getting ready for reopening, you know, cleaning, getting your health and safety protocols in place, ordering supplies, calling back employees. But I think, Scott, there's a bigger problem here. So if a business is open at 50% capacity, I'm getting this a lot from small businesses. They're telling me that opening at 50% of capacity means that they lose money every single day by being open. And that's why it's so critical to get to that 100% 100 capacity level to help them survive. And the other problem we're hearing, I mean, over and over again, like a broken record, is that consumer confidence is so low that even whatever level you allow me to open at, nobody's coming in my store. We're hearing that from a lot of people. Hair salons, for example, they've been allowed to open at 50% capacity. They will remain at 50% capacity as of Jan 31st, but we're hearing that no customers are coming in. And part of the problem is consumer confidence. So you've got government messaging on Omicron. People working from home is keeping customers away. So if the government is not prepared to be out there telling Ontarians to pack gyms and restaurants, which I don't think they want to do, they need to step up with some more funding and tell businesses that now that you've extended this plan until at least the middle of March, that there's going to be provincial funding support available, not just rebates on property taxes and energy, but this new relief grant that it's going to be available, not just $10,000, potentially two more rounds, and available to not those businesses that were just closed, available to anybody impacted by any of these things that I've mentioned in this interview. 
Uh, you talked about customer confidence. One of the questions I wanted to ask, do you get the feeling that we're finally accepting that we have to live with this? But from what you just said, I would say no. No, absolutely not. I mean, yeah. You know who I deal with every day, a small business owner. So this is what they're telling me, is that nobody is coming in their store. Mm. And they're seeing that a lot of it is the government is saying, I'm going to allow you to be open, but then they're telling everybody to stay home. So it's you're kind of like talking out of both sides of your mouth. And clearly, yeah. I don't think the premier is going to stand in front of Ontarians and tell them to pack fronts. But no. unless, if he's not prepared to do that, then they need to step up with more grant support because these decisions are wiping businesses out. We currently, Scott, have a survey that started on Monday. So it's still very active. It's really live current data. Only 27% of Ontario's small businesses are at normal revenues for this time of year. That's down from 35% from the end of November. 18% are actively considering bankruptcy. The average COVID-19 debt is still at five figures. I just heard before I got on this call from a gentleman that runs a, a, a residential cleaning business. He told me he can't make payroll this week. And he's the type of business that doesn't qualify for this new relief grant because his business wasn't closed. But who is asking for a residential cleaner when everybody's yeah, good worried point. about Omicron? Julie so, Kwasinski I, with us, Director of Provincial Affairs for Ontario, Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Great things are opening up, but still at half uh, capacity, they still need more help. Julie, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You too, Scott. Always appreciate your time to cheers. All right. Uh, news yesterday breaking. Uh, Canada's inflation numbers 4.8%, the highest since 1991. To talk more about this, Pierre Polyev is with us, Member of Parliament for Carleton, Ottawa, and uh, Conservative Shadow Minister of Finance. Pierre Polyev, thanks so much for the time. I hope you're doing well. Likewise. Good to be with you. Thanks for the time. Uh, we're seeing, obviously, inflation uh, creeping up, and now we're at 4.8%. Uh, the Prime Minister will say that this is everywhere. You see it across the world simply because of the COVID crisis, whether it's supply chains or absenteeism, labor shortages, that sort of thing. How do you respond to, hey, uh, we're coming out of a global pandemic. Everyone's suffering from inflation. Well, not everyone is. Switzerland, for example, has 1% inflation. Why is that? The rest of Europe has high inflation. Switzerland, right in the middle of the continent, has low inflation. The answer is that Switzerland is not printing money to pay government bills. It's not flooding its economy with cheap cash that's bidding up the price of goods. They protect the value of the Swiss franc. Meanwhile, Europe is printing cash like crazy. Here in Canada, we've been doing pretty much the same. One in every $5 in the Canadian economy today was printed in the last two Hmm. years. Now, that's, of course, fund Justin Trudeau's out-of-control spending with a half a trillion dollars of inflationary deficits in just over a year. More money is chasing fewer goods and bidding up the costs of them. Um, And you know what's interesting? Trudeau claims that it's all uh, foreign supply chains driving up the prices. Well, let's look at where where the inflation is. First, housing. Of course, housing doesn't have foreign supply chains because land is here beneath our feet. And almost all the housing in Canada today was built before COVID even happened. You can't blame that on a delay at a port or a shipping problem. 
Um, and that has been the biggest inflation in our entire economy, 26% year-over-year inflation. You know, the average house price is now up to $811,000. Uh, again, the, a record-breaking inflationary increase in one year. Or look at food. Uh, bacon is up 20%. Beef, 12%. We have among the most abundant supply of farmland per capita of any country in the world. So we make our own food here, and yet our own food prices are going up. Or energy, gas prices up 30%. Well, we have the third biggest supply of oil of any country on Earth, and yet gas prices are rising. Finally, natural gas to heat our homes is up 20%. We have 1,300 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. So the things that are going up the fastest are the things we have right here at home, which proves the Prime Minister wrong when he claims that the problem has to do with the rest of the world. So this isn't about having to bail out businesses and such over the course of a global pandemic the last year and a half. One third of all of the new additional spending measures Trudeau brought in were unrelated to COVID, according to his own parliamentary budget officer. That's about $170 billion of brand new additional spending measures that Trudeau instituted in the last two years that are unrelated to the COVID pandemic. Now that $170 billion is out there bidding on goods, driving up the cost of everything that we buy. Um, we have increased our money supply by $400 billion. Uh, that means that we have more dollars chasing fewer goods and that always leads to higher prices and that's exactly what we're getting now. The answer is to stop printing money, stop running huge deficits and uh, stop raising taxes so that we can make life affordable again for Canadians. So, uh, can we afford to do this at that point? Can we afford to do this at this point with the pandemic where it is? Because I was just about to ask you what you what you would do, and you just said those three things. Can we afford to do that now? We can't afford not to. Uh, we, if we don't rein in the government spending, our inflation rate is going to balloon even further. All of this easy money that Trudeau's central bank is pumping into the financial system, while it's designed to make it possible for Trudeau to borrow and run deficits, is flooding our economy with mm. debt. For example, last year there was an 80% increase in the volumes of, home, uh, of housing purchases, an extra $200 billion buying homes. Where did that money come from? Well, the central bank printed it, flooded the system, and bid up house prices by 26% in one year. That i got to cut you off there, Pierre. i got to cut you off there, Pierre. We are strictly out of time. Pierre Pauly, a member of Parliament for Carleton, Ottawa, Conservative Shadow Minister of Finance, talking about inflation numbers hitting 4.8%, the highest in 30 years. All right, we just had Pierre Polyev on, who is the Conservative Shadow Minister for Finance, uh, obviously talking about uh, Canada's inflation rate, the highest in 30 years at 4.8%. Let's bring in Marvin Ryder, Professor, DeGroote School of Business, McMaster University. He is with us now. Marvin, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm great, thank you. Difficult to follow, Pierre, though. (laughs) 
Uh, he does know his stuff. Although, that being said, uh, obviously, uh, the conservative shadow credit for finance, so we know what direction he's going to go in. Uh, talking about the inflation rate, uh, I, I use the position of the government, the prime minister saying, well, we got a global uh, pandemic going on. Uh, we've just given all this money out to help people get by. Supply chain issues, now absentee is- uh, absenteeism issues uh, with people coming down and getting sick and such. Uh, how can it be any of that? The finance minister, the, the shadow minister for finance, for the conservatives said that uh, the biggest inflation is in housing, fuel, and food, which all originate in Canada. Is your thoughts on that point of view? Yeah, well, I, I hate to be one to contradict Pierre because I don't want him to put me in his uh, gun sights here. But uh, the truth is, inflation is an issue all around the globe. We're seeing high inflation in Britain. We're seeing high inflation in France. Where he's seen high inflation, even higher inflation in the United States. Now, why is it happening? He's not wrong. All of those issues are there. Supply chains are not unique to Canada. There are supply chain problems around the world. We've got the bounce back from COVID. Again, the world shut down. The world reopens. As we reopen, we consumers go out and spend money. And so we're seeing some of that inflation there. We're seeing inflation on food prices. Part of that is because of odd weather in places where food is produced during the winter months that we need to import uh, because we don't have a domestic supply. So he's not, he's, uh, I don't think it's uniquely Canadian. Having said that to you, though, this problem has become big enough now that I think we have to take some action about this. Uh, We can't let this become embedded in our system. As you know, a little inflation is good. The Bank of Canada says their target is around 2% inflation. Well, at 4.8%, we're well over target. And so now the biggest question is next Wednesday when the Bank of Canada meets in its first of eight times this year to set its uh, trend-setting interest rates, is it going to increase them by a quarter of a point? That's not a huge amount, but any time you make money a little more expensive to borrow, it tends to slow down spending, and that in turn slows down inflation. So what should the Prime Minister of the day do in a situation like this? Again, you know, I wish I could tell you this is in the Prime Minister's control. The Prime Minister didn't exactly create it, and therefore he doesn't exactly shut it down. Having said that to you, we are rapidly moving towards the next budget for the next fiscal year, 2022-2023, that hopefully is going to come down in late March or early April. So the one thing for sure the government needs to do is stop, stop broad-based stimulus programs. We don't need stimulus. We've got lots of stimulus out there. Having said that to you, I think targeted or surgical stimulus Clearly, there are restaurants that are still hurting. There are some small businesses, retail businesses that are still hurting. But I don't necessarily think we have to do broad-based stimulus programs. So as Christia Freeland is preparing the budget, I think she's got to be much more strategic about where the money is spent rather than throwing great buckets of cash at that problem. It's only going to fan the flame of inflation. And as we talked earlier about health care, uh, we've got a health care system in need of some sort of funding formula reset because uh, it's clearly failing under this and, and needs some work. If there's no money, where does that, uh, there's nothing much coming out of the feds there, I would guess. Well, you know, again, the federal government has said that they, they are more than happy to have that discussion. Now, they didn't want to get talking about a permanent change to the health care funding until they got past covid 
depending upon who you listen to, yeah, really. we're either up to our elbows in COVID or we're starting to emerge from COVID. So I think that time is, is approaching to have that discussion. I just don't think we're going to see it in the next month or two. Um, and so, again, what I'd also tell people was as bad as you might think that inflation number was, 4.8% in December, we actually had a little help last month, and that was a decline in world oil prices. The price of a barrel of oil went down to around $70 a barrel. That meant the price of the pump went down below, oh, say, a $1.30 a liter. Well, since then, oil prices have gone back up to $85 a barrel. And yeah. now when you drive around, you routinely see gasoline at more than $1.40. So if you're hoping for a break in January, I think that 4.8% inflation, when you look at the January number, is probably going to be closer to 5 or 5.2%. I still think it's going to break. I still think it's going to come down, but it probably isn't going to happen until nearly April. So we've just got to hunker down and work our way through this. Marvin Ryder, professor at the Groot School of Business, McMaster University, talking about our uh, inflation rate being at 4.8%. Marvin, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. I will. Thank you. What matters to you, what matters to Hamilton, matters to Scott. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. As we've heard in the last couple of days, it was announced that uh, uh, Canadian forces were sending a special ops team over to the Ukraine to help uh, those uh, there in, uh, in in what has become a tense situation along the border with Russia. And, I mean, we've certainly seen this uh, in the past, and, and, and uh, the occupation slowly uh, starts uh, moving towards the, the border, and, and then all of a sudden red flags start. Uh, being shot up and 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 obviously Canada has reacted with this still up in the air whether they're going to send or help with military hardware uh, and again we've talked about this in the past is this a real threat or is this uh, Putin just trying to raise his uh, his profile in Russia and when there's tough times obviously you look uh, outside and start creating trouble there or a distraction let's bring in Oral Brown professor international relations senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto and with us now. Oral, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Uh, I am. Thank you very much. Why we, We've certainly heard of this over time. We remember what happened with Crimea. Why is this a situation now? I think it surprised a lot of Canadians when all of a sudden we announced we were going to send over a, a special force. Why is this happening now? I suspect that it's a combination of domestic and external factors. Domestically, Vladimir Putin is facing... Uh, not only political opposition at home, but the spread of COVID, which he has not been able to arrest. He's able to arrest the opposition, but not COVID. So there are very large numbers of Russians who have been infected, who have died from COVID. There's dissatisfaction. There has been a softness in the opinion polls supporting uh, Putin. And he has traditionally looked for external adventures to try to divert uh, the people's attention away from the domestic problems. But there's an external factor in this case, and that is there's a new leadership in Washington, and uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, as he has done in the past, he does a very close evaluation of all new leaders, even though Mr. Biden has been around for a long time, but he has only been president now for a year. And it appears that Vladimir Putin has come to the conclusion that uh, President Biden is uh, not someone who will stand up to him. 
that uh, he has neither respect nor does he fear President Biden. And so when you have this kind of combination, then he has been uh, tempted, in a sense, to play this high-stakes game of poker, and he keeps upping the ante. That is Vladimir Putin. Uh, it, it sounds like a lot of work to go uh, through just to call a bluff. Is this an exercise or is this a threat? Who's going to blink here? Well, so far, the, the West is blinking. Uh, look at the pattern. In uh, uh, 2014, Russia attacked and illegally annexed Crimea. They've held on to Crimea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Western countries repeatedly have said that they are imposing sanctions, that they will not allow this to stand, that Russia has to uh, withdraw uh, from Crimea, that they also need to end the support for the separatist movement movement in eastern Ukraine. And where are we right now? We are trying to negotiate with Russia so they would de-escalate. There's no word about pressing Russia to give back to Ukraine, Crimea, to respect uh, the initial sovereign territorial integrity of the country, despite the fact that Russia is escalating the threats, there's still the superpower United States and NATO, which together have a collective GDP that is, is at least 15 times the size of Russia's, which is just a remnant uh, of the Soviet Union, pleading, in a way, with Russia to please move those troops back, de-escalate, find some kind of negotiated solution, while the Russians are making the most brazen and unlimited claims uh, on the West, saying not only that they will keep what they already have in Ukraine, but that Ukraine should not have the right, regardless of the will of the Ukrainian people, to join the NATO alliance, that the NATO alliance itself has to be revised, that the new members of the alliance in Eastern Europe should not have the right to have NATO troops exercise on their territory or to station those troops in large numbers, that uh, uh, NATO has to behave in a more circumspect fashion because uh, Russia is, is offended. So they are going on the offensive. They have ignored the sanctions. The price of energy has moved up. Uh, Putin now is getting $80 plus a barrel uh, for oil, and he feels very emboldened. Hmm. Arl Brown with us, Professor of International Relations and a senior member of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. Arl, we'll talk about this again. Thanks so much for the time. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine on the board and in the newsroom making their way to the virtual roundtable is Diana Weeks and Dave Woodard. Want to jump into the fun? Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Good afternoon, table heads. Good to have you all here. Hope you're all doing well. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hey, Derek. Let's 
Let's start with the poll question of the day, as we always do. Uh, of course, big announcement today with the Premier and the Health Minister and Dr. Kieran Moore uh, about where we are. And the good news is the positivity rate in Ontario is uh, the lowest it's been in uh, almost a month. So things hopefully are starting to level off. As a result, announced that uh, as of January 31st, uh, 50% capacity, which we pretty much always see, already see, but now we're seeing it in restaurants, gyms, uh, religious organizations and such. And then going up in 21 day increments after that to February 21st for stage two, March 14th for stage three. Is it time to lift these restrictions? Uh, right now, 54% of you on the Twitter poll are saying no. Dave, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts? You know, it's one of those things that I think it is we have to start looking at, you know, moving forward through with this. And I think that we're seeing some encouraging signs. I think that, you know, there are obviously, you know, talk about the positivity rate being down. Uh, We're talking about we're seeing hospitalizations going down this week as well. So uh, eventually you do have to move. So I think whether it's this week, whether it's next week, whether it's the 31st, whether it be the first week in February, you still have to move forward. So I think that, yeah, now is the time. It's, It's a good time. I think it's tough to please everybody, too. Diana, what are your thoughts on this? Is it time to to lift these latest restrictions? I think so. Uh, I think the gradual approach is the best way. I mean, some of the stuff that I'm seeing with regards to, uh, you know, what surgeries are being deemed uh, non-essential and they're being backlogged Mm. and, you know, still not much is happening on that front. And yet we're opening restaurants. I think that's a little bit concerning personally to me, um, just because I'm seeing a lot of stuff uh, with regards to people's, you know, procedures tests for cancer being put off. Um, So, I mean, while this is all good for businesses, I I think we've really got to think about that too. So do you think we should hold off opening uh, the rest of these businesses until we get caught up with surgical or start surgical procedures? I don't think it's as simple as that, unfortunately, and that's probably why we're here. Um, But uh, if there's a way of figuring it out so that both, uh, you know, can can move forward, I, I think that's probably the best. Yeah, you know, I'm concerned about that as well. I mean, I think there's we're going to be paying the price in a couple of years when we see people who uh, just didn't catch their cancer or whatever. Uh, whatever. Well, it's already uh, happening, I think. Yeah, you know? yeah. So that's You're really absolutely awful. Right. I hear you. Will, what are your thoughts on this? Is it time? I feel like I should be the more contrarian here and say, no, more restrictions. But uh, I think, yeah, it, it's okay. I like that they're doing it in a stage, step-by-step thing. It's not perfect, but uh, I think it's okay to start nudging the needle forward and seeing what happens. It'll be interesting, uh, especially with the kids uh, back at school. Uh, also, what I find fascinating in this discussion is you're watching Ontario and Quebec go through this uh, first, uh, obviously because of the largest and the most diverse provinces. Uh, and now you're starting to see this ripple across the country and other provinces uh, have a difficulty as it sort of flows across. Um, yeah, hopefully we all get through in and out soon. All right. Uh, interesting about, and my wife and I were talking about this uh, the other night, about 35%, 36% we are sitting with uh, the booster shot the rates a little bit lower than what it was uh, when we jumped in line for our first shot and our second shot uh, everybody's banging the doors down there's still lineups there's not the the mass vaccination clinics that we saw but we still are, are we're start, starting to thing uh, see things open up and so why do you think the booster hesitancy rate is so high my theory is uh, and maybe this is just because I've had covid 19. Uh, I know I know so many people who have either had it or know somebody that's had it and we can't get boosted for another four to six weeks. 
So my I was initially uh, scheduled to have a booster and then couldn't get it because I had just recovered. And uh, so mine's not coming till the beginning of February. Do you think uh, booster hesitancy or why do you think it is where it is? Diana, we'll start with you. Um, I really think it has nothing to do with hesitancy, to be honest. I'm just going to say that. I think that it has to do with the fact that so many people are testing positive for uh, the COVID-19 that you're not supposed to go and yeah, get your shot yeah. while you're you're either symptomatic or asymptomatic. And plus, I mean, these stats that we're looking at, I mean, I don't know the current numbers, but from what I see, this was on the around the 13th. Um, it's been about a week, and I think every week it gets better in terms of being able to book. Um, I think that was a big challenge yeah. that set back a lot of things. So I don't necessarily think it's hesitancy. I think it's accessibility um, and people just waiting it out so that they can go and get it. Yeah, I agree with uh, I agree with you 100. percent And I guess that was my point was that uh, so many people have had it, they now have to wait to get the boost. And I think this is a realization, reality blast to all of us that wow, a lot of people obviously must have had it. Uh, Dave, what are your thoughts on this? I think also, yeah, I agree with uh, with Diana as well. A, a lot of it has to do too with with age groups and, and who's getting it. Uh, you know, the same statistics that you're that you're we're looking at say that you know the the uh, older populations are still getting vaccinated. In fact, Ontario today said uh, that uh, those who are 50 and over, more than half of those have been boosted. And that's only mm-hmm. since December. So I think th- they are getting boosted. It's just a matter of, you know, some of that younger population hasn't yet. And part of that is, yes, they're the ones that are out working jobs um, at minimum wage that they have to yeah. be out and they're and they're getting covid um, but also it's it's because you know um, they do have that sense of you know I'm untouchable and I've got two doses so I'll be fine so I, I don't think it's necessarily a vaccine hesitancy as much as it is eh, I'll just wait yeah I'm seeing that a lot all right uh, fascinating story we're all laughing about this not only in the station but out there in radio land uh, Rick Zamperin, host of uh, Good Morning Hamilton, uh, lost his keys in the snow during the blizzard. Uh, he was on earlier today telling the story. I'm sure we've all heard it by now. Uh, but basically ran over his keys and split them up into three, and they shot out the snowblower. And with the aid of a metal detector, finally found his keys like a couple of days later. Uh, have you had a similar experience? Have you locked yourself out? Have you lost something, anything, phone, dropping the phone in a toilet? Sorry, I've done that. Uh, Diana, what are your thoughts? Uh, anything stand out? when you hear Rick's story? Uh, First of all, I just want to congratulate Rick for finding his keys. I mean, that was quite the feat and it was very entertaining watching him. I was really drawn to the search. You know, I was like, did Rick get his keys today? Better log into Facebook. So, you know, just to see if he got it. And I think that was really clever what he did. Um, Worst thing for me, I'm sure I've done a lot of really things like that where I've lost, uh, lost a lot of things. I dropped my phone into a full can of paint once. Oh, man. Yeah, I did that. Uh, and that it? Done? It's over? That's no, it? Kaput. the phone no. actually survived. Wow. Um, the thing was, I had a very heavy case on the phone, and as soon as I did it, I ran into the backyard and hosed it down, which yeah. should have killed the phone, too, but no, it was fine. I could not believe it. 
Wow, I guess the newer phones are better equipped for this. But yeah, I, I've I've dropped mine in lakes and in toilets and didn't have <laughs> such success in the end. Dave, what about you? Yeah, not so much a phone, but I remember having my wallet in my pocket when I decided that I was going to uh, run into uh, Christie's uh, at the <laughs> lake, and and uh, so I had you know my my driver's license, I had cash on me that was all soaked, I had pretty much everything that had to be uh, replaced. So that was fun. Well, what about you? Yeah, uh, a few years ago, right after I just moved into a new place, uh, I locked my key. I left the house with my keys to the house inside the house. Left, came to work here at the station, realized it while I was sitting around here on the board and was thinking the whole day, maybe my roommate will be back in time. No, they went out the whole night. So I got back home and I had to do the classic thing of going up onto the back porch, onto the back little balcony. It was a two-story thing and climb it out on the side as I'm thinking, no one in the neighborhood knows me yet. I'm dressed all in black (laughs) and I'm headed to the window that I know is open. I remember (laughs) seeing it and I had to squeeze my way in, get halfway through the window and that's when the cat comes up and starts trying to scratch my face. I made it in. I didn't get the cops called on me and I got my keys and I never did it again. Oh, I thought there was going to be a side story here about uh, making bail, but that's uh, I guess it worked out. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Tableheads. The Premier earlier today at his news conference as he announces uh, reopening stage one. Uh, January 31st, that is 50% capacity, but including restaurants and gyms and churches and such. Uh, the stages go for 21 days, then uh, stage two, February 21st, a little bit more, and then 21 days later at March 14th, uh, stage three, and a little bit more yet. Uh, that's where we are. Let's uh, bring in Thomas Tenk, Professor of School of Occupational and Public Health with Ryerson, and with us now. Tom, as always, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Uh, yes, thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. So, uh, boy, I think you're damned if you do or damned if you don't uh, uh, to be a politician and trying to decide whether you're opening or closing or what you're doing. Uh, your thoughts on where we are. Uh, I know I talked to the Canadian Federation of Independent Business today. They thought we were going to open up on the 26th of January, uh, and then it was going to be a full meal deal, not just 50%. What are your thoughts of the gradual sort of 21-day approach here? Yeah, so, like, from a from a public health perspective, my like I would like to think to sort of hold on a little bit longer, but I also, you know, the, the numbers are changing pretty rapidly. And, uh, you know, you know, we've got uh, what, you know, uh, 11 days or whatever between now and the 31st. So, you know, things can, uh, you know, change quite dramatically in the, in that time frame. And, and, you know, looking at the various metrics that they're using, uh, you know, hospitalizations, I see, ICU uh, beds, uh, the percent positivity uh, rate, you know, they're, they're all either flat, you know, have a extended period of flatness for the last little while, or they're on the, on the, on the downward slope. And, uh, you know, given that, you know, but, you know, another two weeks time, uh, you know, if, if those trends continue, you know, we'll be in a, a much better place. And so, so I think, you know, even though I, probably like to sort of give it another another uh you know couple of weeks to sort of really yeah uh, sort of let things you know bite and and really get under control i also realize that uh you've know, got a lot of businesses that are you know sort of continuing to suffer and and uh you know yeah like it, it like you say it's, it's sort of in some ways damned if you do damned if you don't so how do you make that balance and i suppose they're sort of uh you know the the capacity limits is is the start starting point and and that's probably a, a fair starting point. 
It's been interesting, Tom, to watch this go across the country because obviously Ontario and Quebec is what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Obviously, the biggest populations, the most diverse populations uh, and such. And we seem to go through this first, but it's now starting to appear and, and ripple across uh, the country. And we're starting to see other provinces kind of go through what we were going through maybe two or three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And and I think, you know, that's, uh, you know, we see that, you know, around the world that, you know, the different countries are also uh, sort of at, at different stages. And I think, you, you know, it's really uh, in response to what what's happening at that local level and, and what the what the what the data is showing you. And so and I think that's, you know, what we need to keep doing is to be uh, be able to respond to what's what's happening at a local level. And so so. You know, from that perspective, uh, you know, various, you know, specific localities within Ontario uh, could be, you know, at a much better place and others might be uh, uh, worse. But, uh, you know, overall, I think, you know, the, 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 the overall trends for, for Ontario are, are in, in, you know, in the, in the downward trend and what, what's, what's, you know, good news overall. Uh, it's interesting uh, looking at stats and we see how much, uh, you know, like over 81% fully vaccinated five plus, which is amazing, but boosters seem to be lagging. And that's sort of been a story, uh, a secondary story throughout the week that we've, we've seen and, and trying to, you know, wrap your head about why people are waiting to get the third dose when they got the first and second so quickly. And I don't know whether there's any truth to this or not, but we were chatting earlier on and, you know, a few of us have had it and, you know, moved on and, and lived to tell. I had to cancel my, uh, booster appointment because I was sick. And then they tell you to wait four to six weeks. The doctor said, uh, before you get your booster, could we be seeing, the delay in uptake in boosters simply be because so many people have had it and now have to wait four to six weeks before they can get it. Have had the have had COVID nineteen and now have to wait to get to the booster uh, four to six weeks after they recover. Yeah, well, well, definitely, you know, it, it's that, that it, I think it's a combination of factors. You know, definitely the the you know the the large number of people who have. Uh, who have been infected, infected, and uh, but but I also think you know there's you know a big big issue is the uh, the the government sort of keeping the the you know the fully vaccinated uh, uh, term as being uh, two doses versus going to the third dose, and so mm. you know I think that's a big issue is you know if you don't if if you don't need that third one to to be able to access the various services and, and whatever, then I think you know that's. That's something that uh, people are saying. Well, you know, why, why if I don't need it, why why do it? Whereas, you know, from a public health perspective, you know, we really encourage people to get it because it's, uh, you know, the, the the evidence is is very strong that the the booster provides a, a lot lot more protection against the very very serious outcomes of of the Omicron. So, do you think, Tom, that we will see being fully vaccinated will eventually mean the booster as well? Because uh, you, you bring up a valid point as far as passports and getting in and out of places and all that sort of thing. Uh, you got to be fully vaccinated. If that now includes a booster, we may see that jump. Yeah, I, I, I think it just depends on how long they they want to keep the the vaccine passport in place. And from what I was reading, they they're talking that it it's going to they're going to you know sort of. Uh, phase that out uh, as mm-hmm. part of this process and so so I suppose it, it just depends on you know it, my sense is that they, that they'll probably not do that they'll they'll sort of just keep it at the two doses and 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 by the time they phase it out then you know it, it's a it's it's a non 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 uh, story but like whereas you know personally I would like to see that uh, you know that that the, the 
the the booster rate being a much much higher you know very close you know close to what the the two dose rate is because i think you know and that also gets down to that aspect of you know personal risk versus community risk and and uh you know and and people sort of saying well what what level of risk am i comfortable with uh and and i think you know people should sort of say well given my circumstances you know my family circumstances and a range of you know where where i work and the connections that i have with other people you know uh you know i think you know sort of i as a public health person i would sort of say please get the booster but uh you know because that's ensuring your own personal level of risk is 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 lessened but uh you know i suppose you know what we've seen is often you need the uh more stringent government uh sort of requirements to sort of really edge Mm. people onto that sort of decision interesting thomas tenkate with us professor school of occupational and public health ryerson thomas as always thanks for the time be well Uh, thanks scott have a great day 528 news on the way Scott Thompson isn't worried about ruffling a few feathers. In fact, he kind of likes it. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. Uh, Will Erskine is on the board in the newsroom. Diana Weeks and Dave Woodard will be joining us around the big round table coming up one hour from now. And we'll be talking about this because it's been quite funny, not only around the radio station, but also uh, for the good listenership who have been monitoring uh, very carefully the search. Uh, uh, basically, what happened is... Uh, uh, Rick Zamperin lost his keys in the snow. I'll leave it than that, and he can continue on. Joining us now, host of Good Morning Hamilton, Rick Zamperin. Rick, I'm I'm so happy for you. Uh, it was so funny to see the elation and hear the elation in your voice when you finally uh, found the keys. What was that moment like? Scott, number one, you know, it, we haven't had much to smile and laugh about over the last couple of years, so I'm I'm grateful that I can provide you know, some smiles and some chuckles. And uh, we certainly had a lot of that in our household. It, it, it was, you know, whenever you lose something that you need, uh, yeah. you know, there's a bit of a, an anxiety factor, especially when, you know, uh, the item that you lose is the key to your home and, and your vehicle. And yeah. anyone who has, you know, a, uh, a newer model vehicle, those those key fobs are quite pricey. So, yeah. you know, if you lose one of them, you're, you're out to 100 or $200, depending on the make and, and model of your vehicle. So basically what happened was on Monday during Snowmageddon, uh, you know, not only do I get stuck on my street twice uh, in my vehicle trying to get home, but when I do get home, I don't even go in the house. I go straight for the garage. I'm knee deep, uh, more than knee deep in snow, trying to get the snowblower out of the garage, and I'm I'm blowing that drive like the, like there's no tomorrow. And I'm about halfway done, and I got the vehicle in the uh, you know the the one half of the driveway. I'm about halfway done, doesn't the thing run out of gas? So you know, into the garage I go, get the jerry can, unload that baby into the snowblower, fire it up again, and I look down and see my wife's key fob and i'm thinking okay that's strange number one because the keys were in the pocket of my winter coat as i'm snow blowing the driveway and i think well i have more than one key what's happened to the rest uh, uh so i i quickly think i must have snow blowed these set of keys into the stratosphere and that's when the adventure began so you actually ran over the keys I guess so. It's funny because you would think that you would hear a set of keys, and this is not just one or two keys. This is about six or seven normal keys and a couple of key fobs. And you'd think you'd hear some clanking around or something. I didn't hear anything. I just saw my wife's key fob on the ground, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, 
that's not a good sign. So, you know, I finished the rest of the driveway because, you know, priority first. And that once the driveway is snow blowed out, uh, I start searching and I'm looking everywhere in the garage, on my neighbor's driveway, on the sidewalk, because, you know, my driveway is like 10,000 feet long. And I'm looking everywhere and I can't find this key fob or my set of keys anywhere. So, uh, you know, a couple of a couple of days pass and I asked uh, on Facebook, does anyone have a metal detector? Because I'm thinking there's got to be somebody out there I saw in, that. Yeah. in the social media world that has something. And Shona says, hey, my husband has one. I'm like, bingo, let's do this. So she brought it in. Uh, it's uh, for, for those who haven't seen the video, it's basically a picture a carrot. It's the same color. It's the same shape. And it beeps and vibrates when it detects metal. So I'm sticking this thing in the snowbank in my front yard and nothing's happening. And I'm going to the backyard and, you know, 20, 30 minutes pass. And I'm, you know, kind of getting a little anxious thinking, oh, no, did I blow it like in my neighbor's backyard? Like this thing, did it go, <laughs> did it go that far? So finally, after about, as I said, 20 or 30 minutes, I stick the old carrot into the snowbank and lo and behold, it starts beeping. And I'm thinking, oh, hokey Dinah, I've hit the lottery. And so I pull out the key fob, which is the first find. And not only did I pull out the key fob, but the, the key chain was still on the key fob, but only one link to that key chain was still alive. The rest of it, who knows where it went. Uh, a couple minutes later, continuing to stick that... Um, metal detector in the snow and lo and behold i find the rest of the keys and you heard the reaction because i was absolutely overjoyed that i had found my lost keys <laughs> <laughs> so were both of these key fobs and everything on the same ring and one you you saw your wife's fall out and then the rest you were searching for is that accurate yeah so one uh, imagine one key ring there's two key fobs on this ring, yeah. and then there's another ring with all my other keys. So That's exactly what I have yeah. for the cars. My wife's car. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you're working fobs, with there, buddy. Yeah, the one key fob's on the driveway. The one key fob is in a snowbank near my barbecue. The rest of the keys uh, on the ring just in front of the barbecue. So it's really like the key fob and the key ring with the, uh, with the, or the keychain with the keys were found about a foot apart around my barbecue. So unbelievable. So, uh, wow. So do the fobs still work or are they demoed? So both fobs went through the snowblower. And why do I know that? Because when I picked up my wife's key fob on the driveway, it had a relatively large scuff mark. So I thought, okay, this went, <laughs> this went through the dual chamber uh, double action snowblower and uh, was spared the catapulting oh. into the atmosphere. My key fob, or the one to my vehicle, also has a scuff on it. They both work. And that is maybe That's the amazing. biggest yeah, the biggest thumbs up is I thought, oh geez. Okay, I found it. Now does it still work? And not only did it go through the snowblower, but it spent a couple of days in bone chilling ice cold snow. But yes, it still works. So that's phenomenal. You know, that's something right there. And you know what? Thank goodness it was bone chilling because that probably kept the moisture out of it. You know, it's like almost an old Timex commercial. Take your watch off, throw it in the uh, driveway, then run over the snowblower and see if it's still ticking. <laughs> Man, that's yeah. incredible. So where about, so uh, you found the one, uh, your wife's right there. But wh what about uh, what about the other ones? You said they landed near the barbecue. How far away from um, where you dropped them or the snowblower were they? And did you figure out where you did actually drop them? So, yeah. So basically where I found my wife's key fob on the driveway was just, I'd say about five feet from 
the rear uh, wall of my home, uh, right, pretty much right. the center of the driveway. Right. And that, that's where I had been filling up uh, the, the gas tank. And I fired right. it up. And I must have fired it up. And the keys were like sitting right there. I was like right on top of it. So you and ran so over it quite quickly then. Yeah. And so the fob and the other keys were catapulted, I'd say about 20 feet. Uh, is where I found them from where my, my wife's key fob was. So yeah, they, they got a good ride. That's for sure. Oh man. And how long did you actually spend sticking the, the metal detector in the snow? Yeah, so it was about five minutes in the front yard, and I, I was thinking this is probably an effort in futility because I was I was in the back portion of the driveway, and there was yeah. no way it was going to be in the front yard. So I spent a good 20 to 30 minutes in the backyard sticking this carrot-like device, trying to find a beep, hoping like heck. You know, when I was around the barbecue, it was beeping because the barbecue stand is made right. of metal. I thought, oh, these are these right. are some false positives here. So finally, I got uh, when I found the when I found the key fob, it was about four inches in the snow. So it didn't obviously go right down to the ground. Um, so maybe that helped a little bit in in uh, recovering the device. That is amazing. So uh, now, uh, do you get Ted? Do you give Ted a reward for using uh, his uh, his device? What what happens now? You gonna buy your I, own? I think the publicity itself is the reward for uh, Ted's <laughs> device, the the onslaught of social media fandom that that device is now getting. I'm sure the the maker of that GP pointer metal detector, sales have skyrocketed. Check the NASDAQ because it is like through the roof, I'm sure. <laughs> what a great story. Uh, Rick Zamperin, uh, touchdown. The keys have been found, and uh, everybody, is not only have they been found after going through the snowblower, they work. Uh, Rick, great story. Thanks for the time. Good luck. You got it, Scotty. Take care. Uh, Rick Zamperin, host of Good Morning Hamilton, uh, out snowblowing during uh, the big storm, and the keys fell out of the pocket and then were launched across the yard. It sounds like in three different locations, but uh, the good news is all is well. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. It's Hamilton Today. Will Erskine is on the board, Diana and Dave in the newsroom, and joining us now, Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up moments from now uh, after the 6 o'clock news. And, of course, you can read them in your Hamilton Spectator. Scott Radley, uh, glad you're here. Hope you're doing well. Doing fine. Thanks. You too, I hope. Yes, so far. Uh, so The day is young. <laughs> Scott Radley, guess what? This is producer Will Erskine. Did, did you happen to catch that? No. I believe our uh, friend Scott Thompson might have uh, blinked out there for just a second, so I'm going to try to reset some things here on the board. Uh, what's, uh, what do you got coming up on the show? Do you want to start off with that? If you like. Yeah, sure. Let us know. What, what do you got coming up on the yeah. show tonight? What are you excited Guys, about? Guys, can you hear me? Yeah, we can. You're back. Yay. Oh, man, this is the <laughs> second time today this has happened. It drives me nuts. Who'd you make uh, angry, I was just about Scott? to talk... <laughs> Oh, man, I don't know. Uh, I just was about to ask Scott a question, and then all of a sudden, dink, out it went, and then uh, magically we're back. So (laughs) dinner was ready. My wife said, let's go. Uh, Thank you, Will, by the way. Uh, So anyway, uh, what the hell were we talking about, Scott? I think we had just, I had just said, how was your day, or the day is young, or I don't know. We were just sort of exchanging greetings, and then you hung up on 
Yeah, well, uh, that sort of says how my day has been going, but we'll leave it at that. All right, uh, I was going to ask you about uh, booster hesitancy, mm. and this has come out in the last couple of days. It's not getting a lot of action, um, and we've been trying to figure out why uh, there is some hesitancy with the booster. Uh, Thomas Tenkate from Ryerson brought up a good point. He said, you know what, you still only need two uh, to get in and out of things. So until it becomes three, meaning the two shots and the booster, uh, that could be uh, one of the reasons. Yep. And another thing uh, my wife and I were talking about last night, uh, we know a lot of people that have had this, tested positive and moved on, including us. And uh, when that's the case, you've just had the big old natural booster. And the doctors recommend you wait four to six weeks before you actually get the booster after having COVID-19. So uh, we were thinking maybe one of the reasons there's a low uptake is because so many have had it or tested positive. They're now waiting a month or six weeks in order to, to get the booster because they can't get it yet. Uh, you know, I'll throw another one in there, Scott, uh, maybe a couple more. Um, the first one is, and I think it's an obvious one, is that I, I think people were willing to do the first two because because, I mean, they were just, but yeah. there is a point at which when they keep telling you to put more and more stuff into your body, I, I do think people are going to blanch at that. A lot of people are yeah. going to blanch at that a little and say, you know, when is enough enough? And, and the second part of that, there was some research, and we talked about it on my show the other day, out of Israel. And remember, Israel was one of the leading countries in the whole vaccine thing for the longest yep. time. And out of one of the universities there, they've discovered now that four doses don't yeah. prevent you from getting Omicron. And so I think a lot of people now are saying, well, okay, um, I've got my two, which they tell me is going to keep me from getting horribly ill. Uh, do I want to keep going back every six weeks or two months or three months and getting another shot? I, I you know, I, I just, I think people are either, well, partially fatigued and uh, partially saying there comes a point when enough is enough. And that may change in time. But, you know, Scott, think of anything. Like, it, it's not, forget COVID for just a second. If there was any kind of medical issue that you were maybe a little worried about, the flu, let's say, would you go back for a flu shot every two months if they told you now through the winter you had to do that? I think a lot of people would say, no, thanks. I'll take my chances. I, where in Canada can you get a vaccine every two months, man? Well, we're trying to get one but, after every six months here. <laughs> no, but I just, I, but I no, I see your point. I, it's, yeah. it's when is enough? Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense, and uh, and that may fall into the category of until it's mandatory or we need it to get into a restaurant or a sports f facility or what have you, uh, we're going to stay with what we have. Um, do you think people are thinking, I don't need any more, or are people looking at this like, uh, thank goodness I had what I had, and then that made it less severe? Well, let's look at the one other thing. You just said that you and your family had it. I'm still yep. talking to you. You said that it was not, you know... Terrible, yeah. terrible, terrible for you. So let's say hundreds of thousands or millions of people had a similar experience as you did. Was that enough to convince them that they now had to do something more? Or do they say, you know what, if I get that again, so be it. I get that again. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, again, you can you can scream about how dangerous and horrible everything is. But if most of the people who are getting this aren't really experiencing that terrifying warning thing i think you you cry wolf sometimes and, I, and i'm not saying it's made up i don't mean that but no if you've been through it and it wasn't that bad maybe you just say i'll, I'll be fine if i if i get it again, I, i'm looking at it, it this it way 
I'm looking at it this way, Scott, though. Um, I went through it, and it wasn't that bad because I was fully vaccinated. So, sure. uh, I, you know, I'd hate to be doing it without that. So for me, even though I've got it and I don't really need uh, a booster for another six weeks, when it is my time in February, I'm going to get it. Because but you, said, but you said, Scott, you asked mm-hmm. the first thing about getting the booster, not about getting double vaxxed. And so that's, those yeah, are two different yeah. things. Yeah. And so I agree with you that you would want to have the vaccines, the double vax to not get a horrible case of it. But it's a, the question was, would you be going back? And if you've had to, and then you had a mild case of this, again, I, I'm not sure that you're going to feel an mm, urgent yep. compulsion to go get it. Yeah, no, I see exactly what you're saying. And, and I think a lot of people are feeling that way. And um, that's what happens as we progress in this. And it becomes an end, an endemic as opposed to uh, a pandemic that can take us all out. All right, Scott Radley show coming up moments from now after the six o'clock news. And of course, you can read them in your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's a wrap for us. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Will and Diana and Dave for helping out today. As always, we leave it to you, the good CHML listener, to give us your last word. Yeah, I heard that Rick was having himself a bit of a problem finding his keys in the snow, but he was able to find them. Lucky him. I'm still trying to find my kid.